see uh, more events on the back of your communicator and also at our website, uh, foothillvineyard.org. Uh, we'd like to remind everybody to please silence their mobile devices and then join me as we pray for today's offering. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you're doing in our church. We thank you for the stories, the testimonies, and your spirit moving within us. This morning, we want to express our gratitude by giving back to you. And so I ask that you bless everyone here and that for us at the church, you give us wisdom to use the resources for your kingdom and for your glory. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Well, my name is John Marr. I'm the lead pastor. Thanks for coming out and celebrating and worshiping with us today. Um, today, right after the service, if you signed up for our Vineyard 101 class, uh, we are asking that you jump to the front of the line, grab your lunch, uh, your free lunch, and join us in classroom number seven, eight. Um, and so we're going to have our Vineyard 101. If you don't know what that is, that's it's an introduction to the church. And for some of you that have, ha maybe you've never been through a class like that, maybe it's a good refresher to say, what is this church all about? What's our vision values? Where are we going and how are we going to get there? So if, you, if that interests you, um, there's a couple more spots available. Just join us and it'll be a, it'll be a fun time. So um, I also want to say uh, thank you guys for praying um, for my family and I. We, are, we did not sell our house in Baton Rouge yet. And I stress the yet part, but we are in a house. Yay. Um, the RV was awesome, and I'm so glad that we're also in this next step. So um, just pray that our house sells. And also letting you know that Tom and Jan will be back on Tuesday, and so they'll be with us the next, over the next two Sundays, and Tom's, Tom's up to teach for over the next two weeks. So um, if you don't know who they are, they are our founding pastors of the church, and so they'll be with us starting next week. And we're going to dive in because we are running out of time, and we are in the last part of the series called I Am Jonah, and we've been looking at how Jonah's life, even in his running, um, mimics our life. And where do we see our life in Jonah's story? And so today I want to wrap up this series and I want to start off, so this last part is uh, part three called 120,000 people. And so my college years, it was 1997. I was, a, I was at Central Michigan University, my senior year of college. Um, I, my, my degree is in psychology, and I, I was loving school, loving my friends. Life was perfect. I was a resident assistant, an RA, on a freshman dorm. Nine stories, I was on the very the basement level, and I had picked out one of my roommates, because I got reduced occupancy, but it was a four-bedroom uh, apartment, and so I picked out a good friend of mine, his name is Mike, good Christian guy, I was ready to go for the best senior year of college ever, and I was thinking, I hope that they don't stick somebody in the room with me, because, you know, and, and it was a freshman dorm, so anyway... I, uh, day one goes by, nobody shows up, and I'm like, Mike, it's just you and I, this is perfect, great. Well, day two comes, and a guy shows up with his bags, and he has a key, and he opens our door, and his name's Timmy. And all I could think of is, what? Why? Like, everything was perfect, he's a freshman, and Timmy's getting stuck, this, my new roommate, is getting stuck with, like, seniors, completely different stage of life and everything, 
and he's stuck with the RAs that are like trying to enforce all the rules. Well, um, Timmy was a new, unique kid, and I want to show you a picture of Timmy because Timmy had a mohawk that went a foot off his head. He shaved every bit of hair on his body, except his eyebrows and his mohawk. Uh, he was in a band called the Blood Sledge Death Chickens. This is him. This is the school newspaper and a picture of him playing in his band, okay? Timmy wore dresses about every three days. Timmy was unique in every way. And, and I, all I remember thinking is, I have a freshman named Timmy, and I don't want another roommate, you know? And so I kind of, this is me being just honest, I try to kind of ignore him. And I, I just was like in a different place, you know? And now here's this problem. The problem came in, we'd be sitting in the, the kind of the main living area, and I, he's there, and I'm there, and I tell me, tell me about yourself. And he started telling me about his life. And all of a sudden, he starts telling me that he used to get beat up in high school by, quote, Christians, proclaiming Christians who acted superior and judgmental and unloving in every way and insensitive to Timmy. And I started, my start, heart started to go out towards this freshman. And so I, was, I, I would pray for Timmy underneath my breath, not really, like, you know when you're praying halfway? Like, you, you don't really, you're just trying to exist and do your own thing and finish your classes and, you know, do your college ministry thing, but this kid ke keeps interrupting. And so I, I, one night, I'm like, if you want to go to our Christian college group, you're welcome to go. And it was a really good, vibrant, filled with life group where we all love Jesus. And Timmy was like, Timmy and I had that conversation where he's like, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. He, and he, I mean, he made it very clear. I am like anti-God in every way, John. I'm like, okay, cool. No worries. And so we just started chatting. I started, but here's what I did. My heart really went out to this guy named Timmy. And so I'd invite him to our Christian college group on Thursday nights, but then I'd also invite him on Saturday nights to our Sunday church, which I, we had a great church. And so I started inviting him. And uh, he would always say no. I invited him for week after week after week. Finally, I just broke him down. And, and he's, I said, hey, Timmy, do you want to go to church with me? And I'm ready for another no. And he goes, yes, if. And I said, if what? And he said, if I can wear a dress. And I said, Timmy, let's go to church. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. And so the next morning he got up. He had his mohawk up. He put on a brown, yellow, swirly dress, and we went to church. And we walked in, and we sat in the, kind of this area here, right in the front. And um, we went through, we sang some songs to Jesus, and, you know, he's just silent, like lips shut, just kind of staring awkwardly around. Well, we had this little greeting time in between, just like we do. And Timmy, like, he's, he doesn't know what to do, so he stays seated. And finally, this lady named Emma came up to him. And Emma starts chatting with him. And I'm kind of watching Timmy out of the corner of my eye, but I'm also watching the other college students I brought with me to, to, the, to the church. And so finally, um, so 
Timmy stands up, because Emma's talking to her, and they chat, and then all of a sudden I see Emma lunging. Now she's, Emma's like, she's like 85, 90, okay? She lunges towards him and starts to hug, and Timmy like stiffens up. Okay? Timmy stiffens up, and I'm like, oh no, like this could be a terrible thing. And I'm watching this out of the corner of my eyes, I'm chatting with my friend Eric, and then all of a sudden you see Timmy, and he like gives into it. And then he puts his head on her shoulder. And then I see tears coming down his eye. And Timmy that day, from her lady named Emma, was found radical acceptance. And, and just a space of being loved right in the middle of where he was at. Right in the middle of his life. And my question for us today is, will we love the people around us? And this is actually the question that Jonah faces at the end of his story, chapter 3 and 4. So we went through chapter 1, chapter 2. Now we're going to finish the story, chapter 3 and 4. So let me give you a little review of the story. Uh, God tells Jonah to go and preach against this nation called Nineveh. Nineveh is the Syrian capital. Okay, the Syrian capital is Nineveh. It's the very heart of the Syrian nation. And you have to remember, the Syrians wiped away 10 out of the 12 tribes of Israel forever. They're gone. So this is the group of people that this prophet of Israel is going to preach against. Jonah runs the exact opposite direction. God sends a great big storm to stop Jonah. When the ship is threatened, Jonah the prophet gets thrown overboard. God sends this great fish to gobble him up. Then he cries out to God in the belly of this fish um, where God forgives him and saves him. Finally, he makes his way to Nineveh. Jonah does what God has been asking him to do, but Jonah preaches in Nineveh like half-heartedly in every way. He does a pretty bad job of it. Basically, Jonah walks around Nineveh saying this, and I'm quoting him, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is what he says. 40 more days and Nineveh will be thrown, like, overthrown. Kind of vague, isn't it? No mention of God, no mention of sin, no mention of injustice, no mention of repentance or forgiveness or God's mercy and grace. Nothing, just 40 more days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. He is putting so little effort into this, he's not even letting them know that repentance is an option. Just letting you guys know, in 40 days, you're going to be wiped off the planet. Good knowing you. Bye, guys. And yet the strangest thing happens as he says this. The Ninevites actually listen. And not only do the people listen, but the king listens. And they respond with an outpouring of repentance. They respond. Now think about this for just a minute. Jonah has not brought his A-game. And yet, in spite of that, 
their hearts are broken. The Holy Spirit starts to move in this city. God exposes the extent of their sin. Has that ever happened to you before? The Spirit touches you, suddenly realize how far you've moved away from God and God's intention for your life? Um, the fall of 2016, I got super busy pastoring this church. I was working about 70 hours a week. Life was crazy. Everything's fast forward. And I would go home, and I would, like, check out. So I have five kids. How do you check out with five kids? Well, I did. And I would check out, and I would go watch movies. So I'm working crazy hours, like, come home, checking out on the kids, on my wife, and I just, I'm escaping everything. And I realized in this moment, like, my heart is not only far from my kids and wife, but it's far from God. And the Holy Spirit led me back into the Father's arms as I cried out, Oh God, oh God, what have I, where am I? What have I become? Where, how did I get here? And remember, we talked about this last prayer last week, like, help! That was like my cry. God, help! I don't even know how I got here. Help! And God totally transformed, like, my heart. Like, he actually shifted something inside. And I started saying, okay, like, turn on. Turn on to what God is doing. Turn on to your kids. Turn on to your wife. Well, this is exactly what happens to the people in Nineveh. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 7. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And in the midst of all this national repentance, all Jonah could do is stand up and look as an outsider. So he's watching this from the outside. The ruthless Ninevites repenting the best way that they know possible how to do, hoping that God would change his mind. So what happens next? We read in verse 10, when the Lord saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, he relented. He forgave. They turned away from their violence. They turned away from their aggression and sin, and they received grace. Now the story could end right here, right? But there's one little problem. And it's a guy named Jonah. Jonah doesn't get it. Jonah doesn't get it at all. He, as thrilled as he should be of everything that's going on here, um, you guys, this should be his greatest spiritual achievement of his whole ministry. The whole city of Nineveh, 120,000 people saying, God, oh God, oh God, help! It should be his greatest spiritual achievement of his ministry. So how would you feel, how would we feel as a church if the entire San Gabriel Valley just said, God, help! We need you! We'd be like, yay! Right? At least I hope we would be saying, yay! Right? Well, this great city of the Assyrians had done just that. 
Believe me, Jonah's never been used by God like this before. And yet, in spite of this massive turning to God, we're told in chapter 4, verse 1, this. Here's Jonah's response. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He's angry that all these Ninevites have repented before God. Jonah was okay when grace was extended to him in the belly of the great fish, right? But now it's going to Nineveh, and he's not okay with it. Jonah's ticked. And when we start reading this book, we really think, man, God's big problem is this really evil place, this violent city called Nineveh. And all this sin city, man, these people are vile, They're horrible people. Are you kidding? But then you get into the book of Jonah and you realize, you know what? That's not God's big problem. God's big problem is actually Jonah. What's God going to do with this prophet who is smug and superior, acting superior and resentful, has this resentful heart? So look, there's two times in the book of Jonah where he actually prays. The first time he prays in desperation in the belly of the great fish, right? Oh God, oh God, help! And guess what? God extends grace and mercy to him. God listens and answers his prayer. He pours out mercy on him. Now in chapter 4, God does the same thing. Same mercy is being poured out, but this time it's on the city of Nineveh. So what does Jonah do? Jonah prays again. And listen to this. Here's Jonah's prayer. Please, Lord, didn't I say before I left the left home that you would do this this is why i ran away to tarshish i knew you were a gracious and compassionate god slow to anger and abounding in love you were eager to turn back from destroying people please just kill me now this is a prayer okay please just kill me now lord i'd rather be dead than alive if what i predicted will not happen an unbelievable prayer guys first time jonah prays as he cries out lord let me live His next prayer, the only other prayer in the whole book of Jonah, says, God, let me die! Right? Now, he's not actually wanting to die. He's just complaining to God. He's just upset. He wants something that isn't going to happen because these people are repenting before God. So he's angry. He's whining, and he wants God to know it. God, if you love me, Lord, nuke, nuke them. Just wipe them off the face of the earth. Otherwise, I'm going to look like a fool. And truth is, I don't like the Ninevites, and I thought you didn't like them either, God. So God has been so patient with Jonah up till this moment. He's shown Jonah so much grace. And Jonah goes on this rant questioning God's character, and all God says in response is this. Is it right, I'm, nope, not, uh, in verse 4 he says, is it right for you to be angry? This is God's question to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah doesn't answer. Jonah doesn't answer at all, and his response, he gives God the silent treatment. He doesn't even respond after the, at this point. He travels to the place east of the city, where he would wait to see what happens next. 
still hoping that after 40 days, Nineveh is going to be wiped off the face of the earth, get blasted. Um, but then God does something really unusual. We're told in verse 6 that God arranged a leafy plant to grow, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his dis- discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So that word arranged, if you've been part of this series in the last couple of weeks, is one of those reoccurring words throughout the book of Jonah. It's the same word that God used for when God arranged a big fish. Okay, it's that same word. God arranged for this leafy plant to grow and give Jonah shade. And then in verse 7, it says this, but God also arranged for a worm, and the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged, God does a lot of arranging in this book, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down in his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. So in verse 9, God asked Jonah a second question. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry that the plant died? And Jonah's response, it sounds like he, he, there's a recurring theme here. Yes! I'm so angry, I wish I were dead! <laughs> really, the worm eating the plant made you so angry that you want to die? You guys, the story has so much more to do with what God is doing in Jonah than anything else. God's up to something. In Jonah's life, God arranges a great storm and arranges a great fish and arranges a plant and arranges a worm to eat the plant and arranges an east wind. Call me crazy, I think God's up to something in Jonah's life. Jonah is proving to be a far greater challenge to God than the cruel, violent city of Nineveh. Don't you think? So here's Jonah hanging out somewhere east of Nineveh in the boiling sun fuming, angry, frustrated with God's grace and compassion that God was extending to Nineveh. And still, he's not speaking to God. At this point, he's just sitting there, and God provides shade for him as still giving God the silent treatment. So this plant grows up and provides shade for him. And I want you to know that something that's loaded with symbolism Uh, in the Old Testament for desert people. So throughout the Old Testament, God provides shade for his people. And here's a good example, Psalm 121.5. The Lord watched over you, and the the Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day. So throughout the Old Testament, shade represents being under God's protection. It represents God's presence, God's protection, God's power. And because of that plant, we're told that Jonah is very grateful for the plant. I think the reason why Jonah was grateful for the plant went beyond the protection side of it. I think Jonah saw God's uh, provision of shade as a sign that God was on his side. And if God's on his side, guess what? God's against his enemies. 
And who were his enemies? Yes, the Ninevites. So look, this, I'm giving God the silent treatment. This plant's growing up. God's on my side. Yes, it's gonna, Nineveh's going to be wiped off the face of the earth. He figures out that God's on his side. Nineveh's going to fall. So protection from the sun was nice, but destruction of Nineveh was even better. Pretty sad, huh? Jonah offered so much grace when he hit rock bottom. And when he's, he's offended that grace is extended to these other people. He's offended by that. You know, when Jesus came and the people, the people that he had the hardest time with were not the big sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, stuff like that. You know who Jesus had the hardest time with? The religious elite. The people that thought they had it all together. Those who thought they were spiritually mature. Those religious leaders with superior, judgmental, unloving hearts. Does it sound like Jonah? There's this guy named David Kinneman who's done a lot of research on how the world perceives the church in America. Okay, so he did all this research, and these are non-Christians saying, how do you perceive the church? Okay, so not just our church, but all the churches, okay? Um, so what are the main traits that people outside, when they look at the church, how do they perceive the church? Did you know that all his research points to this, that people outside the church see us, uh, they think that we feel like we're superior and holier than thou and judgmental and insensitive and unloving. You just have to like swallow that pill. It's painful, but um, now maybe they're all wrong, but maybe saying that they're all wrong is not the right response. Maybe we have to say, huh, maybe I have a little bit of Jonah in me. Maybe Jonah's attitude towards these Ninevites is exactly my attitude towards other people. What if we actually faced up to the reality of maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of us in there in this story. Um, because like Jonah, sometimes I can desire mercy and understanding in my own life, but I fail to extend that mercy to other people. Have you ever been there? So one time I was visiting my mom in Pensacola, Florida, and I'm driving around in the evening, and she lives on these um, swervy back roads. And s anyway, so I'm, I'm driving out, and police officer's behind me, and he turns on his light, and I'm like, oh, no. So I pull over. I'm waiting there to hear what the police officer said I did, and he said I was speeding, I didn't use my turn signal, and I had a rolling stop. And basically what he said, it sounded like he could throw me in the slammer for like the next couple years. So here's what I did. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Grace, mercy, please, please, I'm so sorry. I'll never do that again. I'm never, I'm so, and he went back to his car. He looked up my record. He came back and said, your record's clean. I'm going to give you grace. And I'm like, so thankful. Oh, thank you, officer. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Not, no joke, two miles later, I'm driving. Somebody like kind of 
um, they fail to yield. And my initial thought is, where's the police officer when you need them? They should rip up that person's driver's license. Are you kidding me? And I didn't connect the dots yet. I drove a little further, and I saw a police officer had somebody else stop. This, sorry, this is my brokenness, okay? I see somebody else is pulled over with, by a police officer, and I'm thinking, yeah, they're going to get a ticket. Yeah. And then it hit me. <gasps> I was just offered grace and mercy. Why am I rooting that other people would get, like, a ticket? Are you kidding me? Like, and I had to look. It was like the Holy Spirit saying, John, look at your heart. What's going on? I want mercy and grace and forgiveness and understanding, but I don't want to offer that to other people. Are you kidding me? Because I'm Jonah. I am Jonah. When I do something wrong, I want grace and mercy. I have a little bit of Jonah in me. And I think what I want in life is fairness, but I don't want fairness. You know what I really want? I want grace and mercy in my own life. So how many times do I forget what Jonah forgot? That as much as God loves me, he really loves all the other people in this world too. Truth is that people matter to God. Which people, John? Well, all people. All people. For God so loved the world. God loves the jobless guy and the wealthy guy and the successful guy and the atheist guy. And the lady that sat next to me on the way to England and the, she sneezed for six hours straight without ever covering her mouth. God loves her. And all I could think of is, Jesus, throw her out the window. Are you kidding me? Please. But God loves her. And God loved disabled people and depressed people and CNBC people and Fox News people and cat people and dog people and edu educated people and undocumented people and conservative people and liberal people and people with really different politics than you. They matter to God. And card-carrying ACLU, Code Pink, PETA activists, they matter to God. And blood sledge death chicken band members matter to God. They all matter to God. God does not so eager, easily categorize people like we categorize them. People of every skin color from every part of the world, God loves them beyond our comprehension. They matter to God. Every single one of them. You guys, in the history of the of the human race, there's never been a community where anybody who wanted in, who's willing to repent, gets to be a son or daughter of God. It doesn't matter whether you're an Israelite or a Ninevite, a Jew or a Gentile, slave or free, rich or poor, male or female, it doesn't matter. It, none of that matters at all. It doesn't matter to God. The church is the one place where no one should ever be an outsider, ever. And this is what we call just radical acceptance. Because beyond Jesus and the kingdom of God, the greatest gift that we could give to the world around us 
is a loving community that welcomes not only the Israelites, but also the Ninevites of this world. That could be, that's our, one of our greatest gifts that we can offer to the world around us. People matter to God. They matter to me. I know they matter to you. So let me ask you a couple questions. In these days, are you loving those around you? Just let that sit. Are you loving the people around you? Do you love those who are different from you? Are there categories of people that you're dismissing in your life? So one last piece of the story before I close. At the end of this story, Jonah is still ticked off because the plant died and because of Nineveh and because of everything, okay? And yet, I want you to know God still pursues him. God still shows him grace. And verse 10 says this, Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? In the final moments of the story, God asked the man of God, the prophet of God, one final question. Shouldn't you want grace for everyone, Jonah? Don't you get it? And at the end of the story, you read it, and you're saying, what's going to happen? What's Jonah's response going to be? What's Jonah going to do? How is he going to respond? Will he finally get it right? Will he cry out to God, oh God, oh God, I've been such a fool. Give me a tender heart like yours. Help me love the people around. Or will he hold on to his arrogance, his unlovingness, and his self-righteous pride? Guess what? The resolution never happens. Um, you see, we find out we never find out how Jonah actually responds. The story ends with Jonah sitting there, still stewing over God's grace and mercy being poured out to the Ninevites. And the question is, why? Why didn't the story get finished? Um, why, and, you know, like, if, if you watch movies and they have, like, this ambiguous ending, you're like, come on, just finish. You're, you're emotionally engrossed for two hours and then they don't finish the story? Come on. Well, that's the way the book of Jonah ends. Why? You have to ask, why? Because at point, the point of the story is not Jonah. The point of the story is you and I. It's the reader. The point of the story is that you're Jonah, and I'm Jonah, and now we have to make a decision as we look at this world. The book of Jonah ends, and you, and you, you have to face the fact, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to be the person that doesn't give grace and mercy like Jonah? Or, or do I want to say, it's for everyone, for all of God's kids. Grace and mercy is for all. And celebrate when somebody else finds life in God. Even when they're the Ninevites. Even when they're a Timmy college roommate. Even when. So this is your story now. It's my story now. As a church, it's our story. Will we love the city that God placed us in? Will we love those around us, even those who are very different from us? 
And I have one last thought for you. Um, God kept referring to Nineveh all the way through the four chapters. And it's a very short book. But God kept referring to Nineveh as the great city of Nineveh. Very beginning, this great city of Nineveh. Well, what made Nineveh great? It was not their character. It was not their godliness. You know what made Nineveh great? 120,000 people. 120,000 sinners. From God's eyes, that's what made Nineveh great. So the question is, will we extend the mercy and grace and love to the world around us? Not just our little niche, our little piece of the pie, but even to the Ninevites around us. Are we willing to follow Jesus in that? Let me give you a couple practical tips today. Number one, if you've moved away from God and the Holy Spirit highlighted that to you today, ask God what you truly want in your relationship with Jesus and move towards that. Cry out, oh God, how did I get here? Help. Like we said last week, God loves to answer that prayer. But some of us need to acknowledge like where we're at. If you feel like you're disconnected, it's a great prayer. God, how did I get here? I don't even understand. I don't know what happened. For me, it was my sheer time and availability. I just didn't have space in my life. And so, wh- how did you get there? You, it's, some of you haven't even thought about that. Like, how did I get to where I'm at to get today and I feel so disconnected from God? Well, ask yourself and just say, God, I need grace. I need help. Help me really prioritize. Number two, where do you see yourself in the where do you see yourself in the life of Jonah? Maybe you're able to connect. Maybe you're able to accept grace and mercy for the wrong things you've done, but you have a hard time extending grace and love to others. So you offer you often offer more judgment than grace. Repent before God. So the word repent actually literally means you're going one direction, you stop, and you turn around. So it's not just like this little prayer. And you go the opposite direction as you were once going. So if that's you and you have a hard time offering grace and mercy, it's always like self and your little cloister group. Um, Maybe say, God, sorry for my religious smugness. That religious thing where I want to, I don't want to offer this to the rest of the world. Grace, love, They're the high road of the kingdom. Number three, build a relationship with somebody in the church that's very different from yourself. Very different. Uh, Don't try to change them. Ask questions and learn who they are. Allow room for the Holy Spirit to do the work that only the Spirit can do. So I encourage you to find somebody you're like, I don't think we'd ever really be friends. There's lots of people here. And just say, Let's go get coffee. Let's have dinner. Come on over. Invite somebody over that's just different than you, that you'd never feel like you can connect with. And and see what God would do. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when we do that. Okay, let's all stand. For prayer ministry time today, why don't we have our prayer minister team come on up. And the ministry, the prayer team this morning, they've, we meet at 9 and we pray from 9 to 9.30 and 
here are some of the things that the Holy Spirit was highlighting during that time. So what if you see yourself in the life of Jonah? Man, I think you should just get some prayer. Say, I, I really see myself there. I, I've been that unloving person. I, I need, I see myself there and I, I, I need to say, God, have grace on me. Or maybe you're here. Actually, if you're here and you are like an Emma, with working with my, my roommate Timmy, where you just like, love on anybody, we want to pray and bless that because that is a gift and the rest of the church can really learn from you. So we want to bless that over your life. If that's you and you're that kind of person, get some prayer because we want to honor that this morning and the Holy Spirit wants to honor that today. Um, we also feel like our team felt like somebody here needs rest and you're overloaded and you push God to the back burner but you need God-centered rest in your life. If that's you, the Holy Spirit has your number this morning. Encouraging to get some prayer. There's also a word that uh, somebody just needs freedom and you've got these chains on and you feel like you've been bound for years and now you're in church and you're saying, how do I even look up towards God in the middle of these chains? We'd love to pray for you. stomach issues this morning, physical stomach issues, we want to pray for you. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to bring healing to your stomach issues. And uh, the last thing is migraine headache. So Holy Spirit, come. Lord, but thanks for this book of Jonah and how we can look at it and examine our lives through this book. And Lord, we want to be your people in the middle of it when everybody else and so many else are just, uh, they, they, they don't want to open up the gates and they cloister themselves off. But Lord, we want to be the people with open arms like Emma that just is willing to love and hug and embrace. We want to offer radical welcome. We want to be the people that because we've received grace and mercy, we so freely give grace and mercy. We want to be that people, God. So Holy Spirit, come. 